0: Hi, this is SD, host of the Friday, a public affair. I hope you help us by contributing to WORT and you can also subscribe to the podcast. Bye.
1: Six foot six above sea level I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level No power frequency, radio modulation The big sound from underground No, no, change, change, without without struggle.
2: Struggle. no, no change without struggle, struggle. No one, one in power ain't giving up nothing No change without struggle No one in power
0: W-O-R-T, 89.9 FM, listener-sponsored community radio, Madison, Wisconsin. And hello, welcome to A Public Affair. I am Esti Dinor Bruno Pereira and Dom Phillips, the um, first one um, being described as um, an indigenous... Uh, People's expert in Brazil and the second one being a journalist, were murdered in the Amazon region of Brazil on June 5th. We are going to talk today about the murder and the um, background to it. Um, what happened? And we have with us two um, excellent guests to discra- to discuss that. Laura Weisbisch is senior researcher at the Igarapé Institute, which is an independent think-and-do tank focused on the areas of public, climate, and digital security and the consequences for democracy. The Institute's objective is to propose solutions and partnerships for go- global challenges through research, new technologies, communication, and influence on public policies. And uh, hello, Laura, I know you've been traveling. Where are you joining us from today?
2: Hello, hello. Hello. Very nice uh, being here. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm actually in Ecuador right now. Oh, so also also an Amazonian country, but um, right. I'm I'm in Quito today.
0: Okay, <laughs> nice to have you from Quito. And also with us is Maria Luisa Mendonça. She holds a PhD in Human Geography from the Department of Philosophy, Literature, and Social Sciences at the University of São Paulo in Brazil, and is currently a research scholar at the Center for Place, Culture, and Politics at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, CUNY. And hello, Maria, thank you for joining us today. I am assuming you're in New York? Uh, Yes,
1: thank you for the invitation. Yes,
0: I'm in New York City today. Yeah. Well, let's um, start with you then, Maria. Uh, Who were uh, Phillips and Pereira?
1: Yeah, they... um, uh, Bruno was uh, an expert on indigenous issues in Brazil, and uh, he used to work for the national agency uh, that protects indigenous uh, communities. and uh, you know he has had worked on with indigenous communities for many years, uh, especially he was uh, he used to be the head, of the department in this agency that uh, protected isolated uh, indigenous communities that had never had contact with, uh, you know, the outside world, and uh, so he was very committed. And then he resigned um, recently, especially because of the policy of, of the Bolsonaro government in Brazil that uh, cut many of the Uh, funding and had, you know, a direct uh, rhetoric of attacking indigenous communities. And then Don was a journalist that uh, wrote, for example, for The Guardian uh, and other outlets and uh, was doing uh, research and writing together with Bruno in the Amazon. And I think it's one important point to understand about this case is that uh, it was not an accident because uh, Bruno, especially, had uh, had contact with the local public uh, prosecutor's office and other government officials to express concern for his security. He had been receiving that threat, and people knew about this trip. They were not you know, in an adventure uh, in the middle of the Amazon. That was a planned trip. So uh, that's why, you know, it's important to understand that uh, uh, their assassination was a planned uh, act of violence. So uh, I think that's so important to understand. And also, I think this case got a lot of visibility, but, uh, you know, dozens of indigenous Uh, people, leaders uh, are killed every year in Brazil. So I think it's important to point out that uh, violence in in the countryside uh, is common in Brazil and has increased, especially under the Bolsonaro administration. So that's why we need to give visibility, especially international visibility to what is happening there.
0: Yeah, and just to uh, clarify, Maria, um, he was the head of the, uh, the um, agency that um, works uh, with issues of indigenous peoples. Was that under Lula? Or, um, well,
1: th- this is a federal agency that, of course, changes depending on which government is in power. And usually, you know, until recently, the agency was uh, mainly uh, set up by experts in the field. But uh, with the Bolsonaro government, uh, he changed the nature of the, this agency, and you know, um, most of people running the agency currently are military people that have no history of protecting indigenous communities. They actually attack indigenous communities or promote violence against them. So, And Bruno was the head of one department within this agency that uh, was responsible for protecting indigenous communities in the most remote areas of Brazil. Uh, communities that have not had contact with the outside world, let's say. So, you know, he was working, he had been working for many years in very remote areas in the Amazon.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Laura, so he was working in these areas where there are actually people, tribes um, that have not yet been contacted or that have been just recently contacted. Can you put this in context for us? Uh, It seems hard to believe that there still are people who live without having been tainted by a modern world
2: indeed it is it is it is rather unique especially in 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 the case uh, considering the history of brazil and the fact that so many indigenous groups was actually throughout the centuries uh, pressured by by you know colonization and 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 end of the day end up encountering the non indigenous groups Throughout you know the centuries and I think just putting in context just for, for you to For those who are not that familiar with the Brazilian Amazon to realize a little bit what happened I mean, of, of course, I mean colonization started in 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 the 16th century But a lot of the expansion into the Amazonian region in Brazil also took place during the civil military dictatorships in in, in Between the 60s and the 80s and this was a time when I mean under also a, a thinking around, you know, integrating the Amazon and co- really colonizing the Amazon to, to, to occupying the space, actually, you know, led by the military, a very kind of military-led assumption of integrating that region that was and still is a, a remote region in the country, um, was also expanding, you know, routes and, and roads and infrastructure projects into the Amazon and in a way also disregarding the fact that um, those communities were living there. This is like a historical background. But as you said, um, um, so, so I mean, in a way, um, this kind of re- more recent contact happened, particularly since you know the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. But there are still certain communities, a small number of them, there have never actually encountered or formally encountered. Um, non-indigenous groups. Of course, they are monitored through the state, and this is exactly the role, as you know, Maria was explaining, really the role of the, the, the indigenous rights protection agency and particular departments that would, in a way, monitor them in order for them not to have to contact, <laughs> for no, in order for them to protect their ways of living without having to encounter um, non-indigenous groups, right? But this is a very, very delicate, very sensitive, um, uh, work to do. And end of the day, um, um, I mean, most of the non, non-contacted groups are in that particular region, the border between uh, Brazil and Peru, um, in a very, very remote part of the Amazon. But um, you're right. I mean, it, it might find it, it might sound very surprising <laughs> that there are still groups that that have no contact. But indeed, that's the case. And 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 from um, from a cultural perspective and from, and from an indigenous rights perspective, is very important for the communities. They are still, in a way, living their lives without encountering um, um, the outside world. Um, for, for them to to have the chance to to continue living like this, right? Because we know what happened. When, um, when, I mean, when they end up encountering the rest of the world, and 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 the kind of diseases, and and the violations of rights, and the violence. So, I mean, I think we have learnings from the past history of what happens when when those communities end up encountering um, and and not being protected by by us, right? The, the rest.
0: So, how how did that even come to be? How. Uh, who is it from the UN who decided to let them live their lives as they do rather than um, so-called civilize them or um, how, how did that happen that, um, you know, the people in power um, have agreed to not um, force them to become like us, Laura.
2: I think this is a very delicate point, and and one that really deserves kind of reflection. But my my understanding of of what it is, and it really connects to the re in the case of Brazil, right? I mean, I think you you're right when you mentioned the UN because because of the international law and what it comes to 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 the Discussions um, at the international level of of indigenous peoples' rights, but let's put it in the Brazilian context and the fact that after the, the dictatorship in the late eighties and and the new constitution uh, that was actually agreed upon and had a, a great contribution from indigenous movements at the time that were pushing for the state to recognize a more progressive agenda towards indigenous groups in Brazil. So in here. I'm not talking only about those who never I actually never had any contact, but I'm really speaking about the, the the whole, the entire, you know, and very diverse group of indigenous um, communities that live in Brazil. So they they mobilized and actually got certain provisions in the Brazilian constitutions that that, that allow for indigenous uh, rights to be respected in different ways. When it comes to land rights, when it comes to to uh, management of natural resources and other things. So at that at that particular time and and really considering the role that FUNAI, so the agency Maria was actually explaining, you know, the um, the role that that particular agency should play should have played right in order to protect I mean those who already had contacts this is like there's not much to do what 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 FUNAI you know the agency has to do it's it's to protect their rights but considering that there will be interaction between them and the and the other communities and including you know communities of traditional other traditional peoples that are not necessarily indigenous but also live in the Amazon um and at the same time, there was an understanding that those who had, for luckily enough, had never had a contact, should be protected, should be monitored, and protected for them not not to have because 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 of the history, because of what we know, hap- what we know, it happens when when there is a, this encounter. Those are very violent encounters. So, I mean, there was an agreement, right? So there is a duty to protect. Uh, in that, that really varies according to. Um, the level of of of, of contact um, but but this again it, it's a very diverse landscape in terms of you know different groups being in different parts of the country including in the Amazon with more or less contact um, with the outside world let's put it
0: yeah um, Maria what exactly where uh, Bruno Pereira and Dom Phillips doing um, in deep in the Amazon, when they were murdered, and um, why, why, why do you think um, they were murdered? Yeah, they
1: had been uh, denouncing illegal activities, uh, and uh, also to explain a little bit of the context. Um, It's true that, you know, indigenous communities in Brazil are protected by the Constitution and they have territorial rights, uh, meaning that, you know, they also have control over natural resources in their land. And uh, the role of indigenous people, especially uh, the ones in the border areas of the country, is key to protect the environment and to protect... Uh, the territory against illegal activities that happen uh, frequently. Um, You know, all kinds of illegal activities in that case was illegal fishing activities that um, Bruno and Dom uh, were uh, reporting about. Also, uh, more recently, the Bolsonaro administration has uh, promoted mining uh, expansion of uh, mining activities in protected areas and in indigenous lands and uh, so you know the, the Congress is now actually debating this this which is a devastating change in terms of uh, not only you know, allowing large companies uh, you know multinational corporations to expand uh, mining activities but also that promotes illegal mining activities which is also very common and that's uh usually the type of encounter that uh, is very violent with indigenous communities and brings you know direct violence murder and diseases to these communities so the government is actually promoting these destructive activities instead of protecting it and that that was part of what um Bruno and Dom were denouncing to local authorities to the media through you know international uh, outlets. So you know and especially I think it's important to to have international attention to what is happening there because that also so they were seeking to protect uh, indigenous communities by, Denouncing it, you know, thinking that they themselves would not be a target of violence, but that was not the case. So that shows how serious this situation is and also the key role that indigenous communities play protecting the territory, protecting biodiversity, protecting the land. Because, you know, these activities, the agribusiness activities and mining activities, are a main cause. Of environmental destruction that not only affects people in Brazil in the Amazon but has these activities have a huge impact on climate change so you know the effect it so that is a global effect to these types of activities and uh, they were denouncing that and reporting about that
0: mm-hmm and um... Well the the alleged murderers are Amarildo da Costa de Oliveira his brother Osney and um Jefferson da Silva Lima um however and and uh, Amarildo has confessed to the murder and apparently took Um, the police to where the bodies were uh, buried and also to where their boat was um, sunk Uh, but Osane if I say the name correctly I'm not sure um, he claimed that his brother was tortured and denied um, his own participation in the murders what do we know about um, them and is there a thought that if they were indeed the murderers, that um, that it was um, their own decision to do that, or, or did someone maybe uh, order the murder?
1: Well, I think it's very difficult to believe that uh, they acted by themselves on their own. So this is a pattern that we have seen. You know, with uh, several, several cases of violence in Brazil, historically, violence against uh, people who want to defend indigenous communities and the environment, Uh, indigenous people, peasants, and also human rights defenders. So I think, uh, you know, this, it would be hard to believe that these people would act alone by themselves so that is probably someone else that hired them to do that but that is the most difficult piece of the investigation for political reasons because of course you know this the local elites that promote violence against uh, indigenous communities have a lot of local power and political power in the country so that will be a main challenge you know to to increase the investigation and to find out who ordered the, the murder.
0: Mm-hmm. My guest, Maria Luisa Mendonca, you just heard, she is uh, currently a research scholar at the Center for Place, Culture and Politics at the Graduate Center of CUNY, the City University of New York. And also with us is Laura Weisbisch. She is a senior researcher at the Igarapé Institute. And uh, you're welcome to join the conversation six oh eight two five six two thousand and one or on social media at Talk on Twitter or a public affair on um um okay I'm I'm losing it here but um I'll get it in a minute. In um, any case, Laura, um, you were one of the writers of a recent report about um, organized crime, basically, in the region. Um, tell Tell us about the kinds of crimes and who it is that is committing them.
2: Okay, I think I'm I'm going to just get from exactly where uh, Maria just left. In terms of, you know, what is the role of a particular police investigation in trying to understand who did what and when and in this case who did what, who murdered or who who was the mind masters behind who were the mind masters behind this particular killing. What we do at Igarapé is trying to understand as well a more systemic pattern in terms of what are what are the different crimes that are being being committed at, related to environmental crimes, or related to the illicit economies that Maria was also mentioning in the Amazon and, and how actually they 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 interact. So our study, I mean our more recent study um, that we've just recently published actually, um analyzes a series of, of federal police operations and try to understand what exactly what is the what we call the ecosystem of the environmental crime. So the ecosystem of environmental crime in the Amazon is comprised of environmental offenses, but also non-environmental offenses. So when you talk about environmental offenses, we're talking about illegal deforestation, or illegal mining, or illegal logging, or land grabbing, um, or even um, particular kinds of of, uh, cattle ranching and agricultural that is done not in accordance with the legislation in the social protection um, safeguards that should be in place in order for those economic activities to take place in the end at the same time in order to have this this illegal economic activities taking place in the amazon one needs a set of other offenses such as corruption fraud money laundering um, and even violent crimes against people right in order for these economic activities to take place and in order for the commodities they're being um either extracted or produced in the amazon to end up reaching other markets and then being legalized so in a way what what the police is tracing and we are also trying to understand through the lenses of the all, all of police operations is how exactly this ecosystem of environmental crime is comprised i mean um and and where right where are those different offenses being committed and and here let me just point out to something that it's uh, it is really our most recent finding um when we look at the different offenses we know that they take place in different parts of the amazon region and the brazilian amazon is actually very big um but also outside the amazon and in this case when we look for instance at fraud corruption or even money laundering we see that the participation of other actors, networks, companies, individuals, they're based outside the Amazon. And this really, really is a really, really important point because it really makes, using again Maria's words, it really makes the Amazon problem not a localized problem. It is a national problem for Brazil, it's a regional problem for South America, and it's definitely a global problem because those goods are leaving the Amazon and reaching national and global markets elsewhere. So this, this is a little bit of our more current research and really trying to understand um, the different impacts and the layers of, of impact uh, related to this ecosystem of environmental crime in the Amazon.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me first apologize for my senior moment there. Of course, um, you can uh, join us on A Public Affair on Facebook and you can call us at 608-256-2001 extension 9. So uh, Laura, um, has that gotten worse since Bolsonaro came to power? The The crimes that you mentioned?
2: I think from the systemic um, analysis, we are um, we are actually looking at yes, at certain level yes, um, but 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 I guess we need again we need more time to 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 analyze whether and how this became worse. I think from kind of anecdotal level, one sees the impact of the deregulation or easing of certain regulations on on a series of Um, environmental and non-environmental offences. It it was really what um, Maria was mentioning a few minutes ago. Once you have a government that is willing to either not comply with existing regulations or to change regulations in place, then yes, you're going to have more offences. What is is the tricky bit? Is that if you change regulations, what it used to be an offence might not be an offence anymore, right? So if illegal mining ceased to be illegal, because there is a regulation in place that that legalized, then the whole whole idea of offense, it's being problematized, right? So what what I want to put it like this is, um, when we look at the the federal police investigations, we we are taking this criminal lenses approach, right? What is in the law? What is in a crime, an offense? And then how the police is responding to that. But yes, I mean, it got worse um, because there is there is a series of incentives that are taking place at the local level, but also at the national level, to dismantle what it was already a very challenging puzzle, institutional puzzle, to deal with environmental crimes requires different expertise, different institutions, and also this coordination between the federal level in Brazil and the different state authorities, right? so. Yes, it, it's getting worse, and it, it connects to the fact that there is little political will at this particular point with Bolsonaro to make fighting environmental crime in the Amazon a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria,
0: is there um, any um, suspicion, shall we say, that Bolsonaro himself is... Um, supporting or maybe even involved in the criminality that is happening in the Amazon region, or am I going too far here?
1: Yeah, no, I think it would be very difficult to um, you know, to find out uh, if there is any direct connection. But uh, one thing that we know for sure is that uh, even before he was elected, uh, he has been promoting... Uh, attacks on indigenous peoples you know he said for example that uh, indigenous people should not have any right to land at all he has been trying to push um, for new legislation to allow mining activities in indigenous lands so uh, in addition to cutting funding for agencies that protect the environment and also uh placing military people as you know in key positions in those agencies. So changing completely the role of agencies that are supposed to protect indigenous peoples and the environment. So he is you know through policy, through rhetoric, he's constantly promoting violence against peasants, against indigenous people in Brazil and promoting The expansion of uh, agribusiness, uh, mining, and for example, we have seen a few years ago uh, there was a lot of uh, international attention to huge fires in the Amazon, but not only in the Amazon, in the Brazilian cerrado, which is the most biodiverse savanna in the world, and also the pantanal, the wetlands. So there, you know, these are very sensitive regions in terms of having very rich biodiversity and local communities that live there protect those lands. So, Bolsonaro, through his rhetoric and support and political support for agribusiness, uh, multinational corporations, mining corporations, then, you know, in that sense, he is promoting uh, the expansion of illegal activities, deforestation fires, you know, and uh, it's difficult for um, for agencies, for agencies that don't have resources and don't have the right personnel to monitor these activities. So the local communities are on the front line of trying to defend the defend the land and the environment. And they are also In addition to that, they have been a target of violence because of the rhetoric and the policies of the Bolsonaro government. Mm
0: -hmm. How have the um, uh, indigenous communities, all these communities that are under attack, how have they uh, protected themselves, defended themselves, and and, um, are they successful in uh, protecting themselves?
1: Yes, of course. You know that they uh, they fight against, for example, these communities in remote areas of the country. They try to fight illegal activities, uh, people who invade their land. So, but they also need state protection because, according to Brazilian law. Uh, they have the right to their territory, so there has to be the presence, you know, the presence of the state to protect them, not to encourage more violence. So, in addition to that, uh, they have been building international solidarity. I think there is more visibility, international visibility now uh, through different. Uh, international agencies, for example, at the UN, but also certain artists, uh, international celebrities that have been speaking out. Uh, So trying to reach out to uh, international media outlets, which was exactly what uh, Don was doing, uh, reporting for The Guardian. So, you know, indigenous people, they have been Uh, very sophisticated in terms of their strategies to protect themselves from protecting themselves in the land locally, but also building uh, solidarity nationally and internationally and trying to denounce this um, through legal means but also doing um, that kind of uh, public outreach and public education about what's
0: happening. Yeah, and of course, um, that's part of what we are doing right here. And I I just want to... um, make a comment myself here to our listeners that um, like like both of our guests have said, what happens in the Amazon affect all of us as we're looking at uh, floods, both floods and fires right now in the United States and um, other terrible disasters all over the world. It is important to remember that um, the United States is not an island that what happens in the Amazon and in other important environmental areas affects us directly. So um, having said that, um, Laura... What, um, what happens within these communities? What, what are the resulting social conflict and political instability? And uh, how, how does it affect these communities?
2: There are so many layers to that. Um, I guess the first one is communities are more and more divided. And this is very problematic. Because once you have particular acti- economic activities entering, such as illegal gold mining, they pr- they promote sources of income that might be absent. And they are even more absent if you have, like we have right now, a government that was not willing to invest and not, not even willing to renovate its own thinking about what are the, the different economic activities that could coexist with a standing forest, right? We're talking about bioeconomy, we're talking about other things. Um, we are even talking about cash transfers in a way that actually promotes livelihoods that are decent. So, I mean, there is a tension, there's always a tension between impoverished communities. I'm talking here about indigenous groups, but not necessarily, right? Traditional communities and local communities in the Amazon. So the right to development, uh, the right to develop the, the needs of local communities and what can be done um, in the forest, right? So there is this tension. And, and, and when you have governments that actually are uh, promoting what is illegal and very destructive activities inside those communities, you end up having um, groups that are completely split, right? Groups where, uh, for instance, a young generation might be willing to take on low-paid um, low paid, um to serve as as workforce, right, low paid jobs, to extract, for instance, gold in river gold mining, and then in a way contribute to, to this economy, as we were um, mentioning. At the same time, um, there are there is a lot of resistance in, in inside the community of you know trying to educate um, young people, for instance. Of, of of how 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 other ways to live with the forest right that one doesn't need to either migrate to the city or to destroy the forest so there is a lot of there is a lot of, a lot of tension happening inside the uh, different indigenous communities in 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 trying to safeguard their social cohesion but also safeguard their own environment um and and it is they are really under a lot of pressure the more the more the more we see like invasions from the outsiders the more we see those illicit uh, economic activities activities actually spread out the more we're going to see com- communities being divided this is one dimension the other dimension is what um we already discussed violence right um it not only comes uh, with um, this very very complex social dilemmas about you know regarding development and income but also it comes with violence uh, those are very violent uh, activities that still require uh, violence in order to to take place, and this this is why, for instance, in, in other studies at, at the Ganrapé Institute, we have been um, analyzing the increase of gun violence in, in, in the whole legal Amazon, you know, all the states that belong to the Brazilian Amazon. Um, we see more and more uh, guns being registered at, in this particular area, more and more um, um, really kind of homicides, you know, the homicides rates in the Amazon are actually greater than they are in the rest of the, the country. So um this is another another level, right? It really really spreads from a particular locality to, to the whole region. Um so just 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 stay there in, in you know, the, those two examples, divided communities looking for alternatives, economic sustainable development, economic alternatives, and uh violence.
0: Well, and to continue my question, uh, your report also mentions um um, narcotics and human trafficking. So these are not environmental crimes; these are um, human human crimes. Um, how how is that affecting again these communities? Very good question. Um, on,
2: on on the one hand, I mean, human traffic can take the form of we call contemporary slave labor right so when i was mentioning that certain individuals are 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 taking part in these economic activities in low-paid jobs uh eventually they're even taking part in these activities in in more more than low-paid jobs in, in jobs that are just not decent right they have they have very very poor working conditions but they do so out of out of pressure right out of economic extreme economic need so there is, there is this one dimension of, of slave contemporary slave labor in the Amazon that um, we in Brazil, we, we have been following for, for quite a long time in the agricultural sector, um, because it's still there, it's still a problem in Brazil. But we see more and more, for instance, taking place in the mining sector, right? This illegal gold uh, mining in the Amazon also, um, also makes use of, of very, very um, vulnerable um, working force. Um, this is one dimension. The other one you've mentioned is uh, drug trafficking. So this is a this is almost like an, a different layer to the same phenomena, because when when we see you know the shifting paradigms of of global drug trafficking, in particular in Latin America, we see more and more uh, the importance of the so-called Amazonian route. So for for, for there was a time when the drug was um, they are the main drug producers in the world are. In, in, in Latin America, right? Colombia and Peru. Um, but uh, there was a time that this kind of drug trafficking routes that would go eventually to the United States or Europe or Asia, they would actually use the southern routes of the country. So they would go south south in Brazil. But due to dynamics that are specific to drug trafficking and, and the insight between gangs and, and drug, drug traffic cartels, uh, there is more and more um, an expansion of their territorial control in the so-called Amazonian routes, And in that sense, it it enhances the, the, the levels of violence that were not related necessarily to environmental crime or the exploitations of natural resource. It's really related to drug trafficking dynamics, right? Groups that are um, fighting to, to for, for markets, fighting for territorial control and all of those things. This is what I wanna emphasize here, they overlap in the territories, right? I mean, impoverished communities that might not have alternatives, um, might get involved with drug trafficking or involved in illegal economic activities. And we see, because logistically speaking, the Amazon is a very complex region, right? Geographically speaking, uh, few roads, a lot of um, rivers. Um, You can see, for instance, helicopters being used for both you know, transporting drugs and transporting illegal extract, illegally extracted gold. So, I mean, although they are different phenomena and we have to analyze them and understand them in a different way, they overlap in the territory.
0: Mm-hmm. And just uh, briefly to get back to human trafficking, um, I remember years ago I wrote um, a piece about um, gold mining in in the Amazon area, and it was accompanied by a photo in which um, you saw in the foreground a little girl, you know, maybe eight, nine, maybe ten years old, who was carrying a big bowl of food. And I remember thinking that um, there's probably some terrible sexual exploitation in these places of uh, women and girls, and possibly boys too. Um, is is that part of it?
2: Indeed, there is a very recent report um, um, by two um, indigenous groups associations in in the state of Horaima So they are Yanomami groups, and they have just launched a very serious denounce on what they call the the really the the growing threat um against uh, the yanomami communities in, in, in that particular region which which has become one of the hotspots for illegal gold mining and they really denounce the increase of sexual violence um so so the the, the invasion of of non um of people that are actually the the miners right the miners that do not belong to the community that invade the lands in order to extract the gold and end up creating parallel communities um and 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 in this kind of parallel economic um markets, you have a lot of sexual exploitation, particularly against young um, girls. So you, you are totally right. This this is part of the landscape. And I think, um, again, when, when we say it is an ecosystem of environmental crime, it, it, it connects, uh, it, it really speaks to that, right, to the fact that you might have human trafficking, sexual exploitation, sexual violence, um, other types of violence, uh, threats, aggression, uh, killings, um, apart from Mm -hmm. all the other environmental offenses.
0: Yeah, uh, Maria. Um, there is a chance that Lula will be re-elected, and there will be a left government in Brazil. Will that make a difference, or, or is this network of criminality so well entrenched and powerful by now that it's likely not to make a difference? What What, what do you think? Would how How uh, might Lula change things?
1: Uh, yes, I mean, of course, that uh, the state has uh, some power, right, to, for example, some of the things he could do is to refund those agencies, those environmental agencies, and uh, hire experts, people who really want to do serious work. For example, he, he can change the rhetoric, he can uh, promote uh, legislation in Congress, you know, to protect indigenous peoples. There are, of course, lots of things that uh, the government can do. And, but that is also, you know, certain power structures that are, for example, local uh, power structures of, you know, illegal activities and uh, local elites and local agribusiness that have a lot of power and have been promoting violence or, you know, <laughs> since the beginning of our history. So, you know, this violence is historic. But I think that, of course, the government can change policy. Uh, we had some critique of the environmental policies of the Lula government, the previous governments of the Workers' Party. So it's not like they are perfect and they, you know, they also stimulate agribusiness and, you know, other activities, because, um, but I think that uh, now, I think that after Bolsonaro, the destruction is so huge that uh, there is going to be public pressure uh, for the government to, you know, to really uh, have policies, uh, protection policies. So um, I hope that uh, things will change. This is, of course, the hope, but it's, you know, a complex set of uh, dynamics uh, that uh, play out. But, of course, you know, I think there won't be direct state violence against indigenous movements, indigenous communities, so the dynamics would probably change. Uh, But I think one point that is important to understand is that uh, usually when we report on, for example, the fires in the Amazon, the destruction People use the word development as if you know those activities are activities that lead to development, which is not true. These are destructive activities that actually prevent Brazil from uh, protecting a very important set of natural resources, biodiversity, that uh, have much more value than, you know, those Illegal activities that are very destructive and don't bring any benefits to local communities You know, what Laura was describing uh, They are not creating jobs, you know, they exploit local people that lose their land and have no other alternatives So they are like slave-like types of jobs and then they lose their ability Uh, to survive, to grow their own foods, to have a healthy environment, to have access to water, to have their own medicinal plants. So we're not talking about development. We are talking about a destruction that uh, will have impact for local communities and globally as well because it has a huge impact on food production, because, you know, for example, the agribusiness corporations, they don't produce food for local markets or this mining corporations. You know, everything goes out of Brazil is a predatory uh, type of neo colonial activity that does not benefit
0: the country. Yeah. Thanks for that. I I also think that the word development needs to be redefined. Um, It's very incorrect. But uh, Laura, um, let's give you the um, last word. Your report does look also for solutions. What can be done? What must be done? Um, How can things improve there?
2: taking on when we just laugh. i mean you're you're so right i mean we need to rethink development um, and rethink development with this um with this strong principle of 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 innovating in terms of finding the, the sustainable development solutions that that can coexist with a standing forest a lot of that comes from indigenous knowledges right and, and knowledges from traditional communities that have been coexisting and protecting the forest while still you know benefiting from whatever can can be granted in in a very harmonious way so this there is a lot of learning in terms of uh, of you know indigenous and local knowledge but there is also potential for investments and 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 and, and really kind of you know innovation in terms of uh, bioeconomy and and, and and other types of of solutions that, that really respect the value of the nature and the value of the local communities, right? Nature and people-based solutions uh, to the Amazon. So I, I I think we are in this particular moment, and there is, for the good or for the bad, there is a lot of attention to the Amazon, to the forest. Just just remember that uh, the, the, the last COP in Glasgow actually raised the idea of forest, right, as one of the major concerns for global climate change. Whereas before, people were uh, mostly um, concerned with energy transitions. So I think we have a momentum here, here to 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 fight for the forest and actually to live with the forest in a different way, to find those solutions uh, uh, that coexist with the forest. And, and it's so much needed because we cannot afford to lose it, right?
0: Yeah, and in, uh, in just one uh, minute, Laura, um, is it helpful that um, there's, there's going to be very soon a new left um, a government in Colombia, and that there is a somewhat left government in in uh, in Peru. Uh, would that? Do you think that help? I
2: think a new pink tide, let's put it, could could actually promote a very much needed regional cooperation. Um, whether whether being left or right means protecting the forest is another question right i think no one is naive in terms of of saying that this is just a matter of left or right but what we know for sure is that the current government and and in particular in brazil has no regard and consideration for the forest so the possibility of having a new left-wing elected in Brazil, in alliance, in conversation with new left-wing governments, and this is already happening because they have good ties and good relationships, right? This could promote, this could give the incentive that we need for a much more robust regional cooperation that puts the Amazon at the center. Uh, this, This is very important, and I think we should look at it as an opportunity. But again, it will be on mostly on civil society to pressure the government, the new elected government, and, and in the three different countries, or right, all the countries in the region, to do so. Because yeah. for, for, for very long, the Amazon was not their priority.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Laura Weissmich, Senior Researcher at the IGRAP. Institute and Maria Luisa Mendoza who currently is a research scholar at uh, CUNY. Uh, Maria has a book that you might want to um, look for. Um, thank you both of you. Really appreciate you joining us for this important discussion and thanks also to Summer and Richelle and Esti Dinor. Stay tuned for The Funny Boys.
1: Bye-bye.